that Jesus, and that he's coming again. Lord, we, we do pray for this, this town. And Lord, we pray for this church. Lord, that we would be responsible to your call on our lives. Lord, we pray for our future pastor. Uh, Lord, that you would just be preparing, preparing the right person, but even more than that, you would be preparing our hearts uh, to follow you and to make you known in this community, Lord. And Lord, we pray for the, the physical and the emotional and the spiritual needs uh, in this fellowship, Lord, we pray that we would look around us in the pews, and that we would uh, that we would reach out to each other, that we would bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Lord, uh, we pray for the Kreitz family this morning as they grieve the loss of a dad and a grandpa and a great grandpa. And Lord, we just pray that uh, as they say goodbyes this week, earthly goodbyes, Lord, that you would. Give them peace, that you would encourage them, uh, that you would watch over them. I think of also uh, Jane Van Langingham and the loss of her sister during this season. And, and I know there are many other losses in this fellowship this year. And Lord, we just pray for those who are grieving, that they would grieve, but they would grieve with great hope too. Um, Lord, I pray for Misha Walker this morning and her family, for Josie and her husband, uh, Misha's husband. And Lord, I just want to ask for your encouragement. I want to ask for your healing. I want to ask for your joy. I want to ask for your presence as she recovers uh, from her surgery, Lord, that you would, um, yeah, that you would just undertake for her, Lord, that you would just really... Bring that healing. And Lord, we know there are many other, many other requests. And Lord, we lift them before you. And we just ask for your, your peace, your grace um, to just support us. And Lord, now as we turn to your word, uh, to the children's sermon and to the Adult sermon, Lord, we just pray your blessing on Pastor Wick. Uh, we pray for strength for he and his wife. We thank you for their ministry among us, for their leading us through this time, and uh, for their commitment to helping us to find a good lead pastor. We are so grateful. But we pray that as he preaches the word this morning, that we would receive it and would be doers of the word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite the children to come on down front. It's time for the children's story. And I want to begin. Oh, did you finish? Have a seat. Well, that's good. How many of you got done with that project? Did you sand it up real good? All right. I think there might be some around here someplace if you didn't get one. Well, I have, I have something to show you today that you've never seen before. Last Christmas, Mr. Dan Baxter at the Garner Evangelical Free Church brought me a little box and I unwrapped it and inside this box 
was this. And he, he wasn't there. He left church. I didn't get to ask him what in the world it was. Do you know what this is? I thought it was some kind of a bracket to hold my cell phone or something. I, and then he said, oh, no, it's a nose flute. goes into nostrils like this, and you blow down through your nostrils over this opening here, and it's like blowing the, over a bottle, and your mouth becomes the bottle, so you change it, and you can do tunes, and I'd, I'd love to have you hear it, but he didn't make the passageway big enough for the air to blow through, so it doesn't work. <laughs> this is just absolute heartbreak, because I always wanted to be the best in the world at something. I was pretty sure at least I could be the best, like in Garner, Iowa, at the nose flute, you know, or, or, or maybe even Hastings, Nebraska. So anybody want to try it? No, you don't want to try it. <laughs> That's for sure. But I do have some stuff that does work. And, and many, many years ago in Philadelphia, an old ex-Navy guy who traveled in Germany came back with some German harmonicas. So these are harmonicas. And I have, I have four different harmonicas. And the thing with harmonicas is they come... They're made in different keys. So this is a key of C. Key of C, all right? Joy to the world, it says, all right? Then there's another one here that's in the key of F. And this one's got a few more reeds in it. I'm no good at this, you can tell, but at any rate, you get the idea. So it plays same tune, and a few more reeds in there. I like that sound, isn't it? It makes a lot of noise. All right, it's fun. Yeah, all right. Hey, all right. They're playing because they quit. Anyway, then here's, here's a really fancy one. And with this one, this one is in the key of C too, but it has a chromatic, so. Now, if somebody who really knew how to play the harmonica could play anything on this, they could even play classical music on this, because you can, you can shift keys, so it's a little more difficult, but. Uh, big one. But there's one more. There's one more in here somewhere. Well, here it is. All right. There was a little girl at our, at, up at Garner that was so fascinated with this, I didn't think this was going to make it out of the church because she was eyeing this one. This is a little baby harmonica, okay? baby harmonica. All right. Now, these harmonicas are kind of an illustration of the four Gospels. They really are. You've got, you've got the, 
historical gospel of Luke, kind of the one that's in the good solid key of C that goes into all the background. And then you've got, you've got the gospel of Matthew that has all of the Old Testament prophecy. It's got like this whole other layer that's added to it. And then you've got the rich chromatic gospel of John with all of the background story of theology going back to the beginning of the universe, the, the creation of the universe. And then you've got the Gospel of Luke, 16 chapters, the baby gospel. They all tell the same story. They all point to the same Jesus Christ. And it's kind of like the individual Christians, too. There are big Christians with a big, long story to tell, and there are little Christians like you guys with a very short story to tell, but it's all the same story, and it all points to Jesus, our Savior. All right, you can take your seats. All right, it's... Okay. Getting the legs to work sometimes isn't so easy. So, when I went to Russia one of the times, I went with a gentleman from Riverview who had a whole little packet of harmonicas. And he wasn't any better at playing them than I was. And every time we went through customs, he brought the harmonicas. He didn't put them in his luggage. And he did it on purpose so that the customs agents would see them on the x-rays and they'd open it up and they'd lay all these harmonicas out and he'd say, let me show you how I play them. I'm not making this up. I was like, oh, not again. So I hope it wasn't like that for you this morning. I didn't. Not again. Mark chapter 1. Verse 1. Arche Evangelion Jesu Christu. That's it. Arche Evangelion Jesu Christu. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in our English translations, it adds the Son of God because some of the ancient texts include that. But apparently, some of the most ancient texts do not. It's just, that's it. That's how it begins. Archaic, beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Luke doesn't, or excuse me, Mark doesn't make his wait very long because down in the 11th verse we have the baptism of Jesus where, where God says from heaven, this is my beloved son. So it is quickly announced in the Gospel of Mark who we're talking about. Maybe that's why the translators feel at liberty to add this. And some of the ancient texts include it, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No birth of Jesus story but that's Advent nonetheless because it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus Christ comes into the picture in the gospel of Mark in verse 1. This is where it starts. Mark isn't a long gospel. It's only 16 chapters. 16 chapters in the book of Romans, 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians. It's like one of the long epistles. But, you know, it's like with Hubert Humphrey. Some of you remember Hubert Humphrey. He was a vice president of the United States. He was from Minnesota. He was a senator from Minnesota. 
And he was known for being a happy warrior, and he was a great politician. And, and uh, I shook his hand when I was in high school band. He came down through the Aquatennial Parade. He shook everybody's hand. He shook everybody's hand. And he was also known for his speeches, which were interminable. They would just go on and on and on. Finally, his wife Muriel called him up short. She said, Hubert, for a speech to be immortal, it does not have to be eternal. <laughs> it's a good thing for preachers to remember, too. After all, the Gettysburg Address was not very long, but it was absolutely unforgettable. And Mark's Gospel is kind of like that. It's very short. It's very to the point, but very revealing. It tells us things that some of the other Gospels, in fact, do not tell us about Jesus and about how he felt about things. It's kind of an interesting gospel. That's not our point really this morning, but it's to look at what Mark says about the advent of Jesus. There's no birth of Jesus here. It's so different from Matthew. Matthew gives us a full prophetic background of how Jesus coming into this world fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. Luke, Lord willing, we'll look at next week because in Luke's gospel we have what's really like grand opera, as if I would know. I, but I read about it. I've, I've never been to opera. I, I never hope to go. Um, <laughs> I do know that it isn't over till the fat lady sings. That's the only thing I know about. I did. We did go to a ballet once. We saw Swan Lake at the Detroit Opera Theater, in, in, uh, and I found out it's a lot like hockey. There are three periods, two intermissions, and there's three periods for the same reason. It's exhausting. The ballet is very athletic, and, and it was pretty impressive. But opera I've never been to. But I understand that opera is very dramatically staged, and there are arias in it. There are solos in it for the various people. And that's Luke's gospel. If you think about it, it's just exactly set up like an opera. We've got the songs of Elizabeth and of Mary and of Zechariah. And we've got the staging, two angelic appearances of Gabriel showing up and just this phenomenal pictures of the glory of the angels and announcing to the shepherds and so on, a whole chorus, although it doesn't say in the Greek that they sang but they announced, they chanted, and then so we have the angelic choir. It's a beautiful picture. We don't have any of that here. And in the Gospel of John, of course, Lord willing, Christmas Sunday, we'll look at that magnificent and consummate theological poem about the Logos, the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and with Luke, Arche, Euangelio, Jesu Christu, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning. Euangelio, it's good news that's announced. This is an interesting word. The Greeks would have remembered something. When Augustus Caesar was born Octavia, his birth was announced by his uncle Julius, who adopted him as his son, with a euangelion. A birth announcement, the good news. Your Caesar is born, the one who would ultimately become the, the founder of the empire. The, the republic was over. Interesting way he played it, by the way. He called himself the first citizen, but he was really a benevolent emperor with absolute power. 
His birth was announced with a euangelion. The good news has come. This is a birth announcement. You see, you see, the birth of Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark. The good news announced that Jesus Christ has come. But the good news didn't begin here even, even though this is the beginning. The good news was older than that. It was not the beginning of the good news of salvation because that had been planned by God from before the foundation of the world. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the scriptures. In Titus 1, and chapter 1, 2, and 3, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word. Here, Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the beginning, the revelation of something much older and perhaps even clearer in Ephesians 1, 4, even as the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So not really the beginning of the good news of salvation, because that was ancient, the ancient past that preceded the beginning, but now is revealed in Jesus Christ. This is the first time that anyone other than God the Father knew what was going to happen. Well, I should say within the Trinity it was certainly known. But now it was revealed to the whole world. The good news is here is the plan of salvation. Here is how it is going to happen in this person, this human being, Jesus Christ. The beginning was in the human experience now of Jesus, with the birth of Jesus. The eternal plan is now revealed. Now it is to be announced. Now it is to be heard. Now it is to be believed. Um, It is to be received, and the transformation of lives can begin because now is the beginning of the gospel. And it is good news. Often we hear this, I've got good news and bad news for you. Often the good news is preceded by bad news or accompanied by good news. I've got good news for you. You won't have to pay any income tax next year. The bad news is that's because you won't have any income next year, right? Too often it's like that, but this isn't like that at all. This is all good news. This is good news. This is good news of the forgiveness of sin. This is good news of a life transformed. This is good news of the promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. The four Gospels have this same message, much like my harmonicas have the same notes in them, the same message in all of them, the same emphasis, the same Savior. With a little different twist in Matthew, we have this emphasis on the Jewish Messiah, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In Luke, we have the divine man, the humanity of Christ, but a different kind of man because he is also fully God. In John, we have the incarnate Word of God, eternal from before the foundation of the world and now come to this world. In Mark, we have an emphasis on Jesus 
as the royal servant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verses 40, uh, verse 45. Matthew is thought to be directed at the Jews, and, and Luke at, at the Greeks, those who were more learned. Luke, after all, was very interested in giving us uh, assurances that he had done his research. He was an academic, in a sense, and he was presenting the true story as he had gathered it. And, and, and John, I'm not, I don't know that John is aimed at any particular ethnic group. It's, it's aimed at all humanity in its depth and its breadth. But Mark is generally believed to be aimed at Romans. And we, so we have centurions in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we, we, we have a very action-oriented Gospel. It doesn't go into a lot of Jewish history and background, because why would a Roman care about that? It just tells the story of Jesus. It just gives us the facts about Jesus. It does tell us how he felt about things. And at the end, Jesus on the cross gives up his life, and there at the foot of the cross is a Roman centurion who has seen countless executions. And when he saw how this man died, this Roman said, now I have observed what has happened, and this is my judgment. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Action that has consequences, that gives evidence to a reality that is undeniable. There was, I'm sure, one of the first followers of Jesus that left the foot of the cross that day, not even yet aware of the resurrection that was to come. Jesus, the Son of God, four Gospels, four different emphases, but in this Gospel, Jesus, the royal servant. Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew, that's short for Yehoshua, so, Joshua comes into English, and then Jesus comes into English. So, there's all kind of the same thing. They all mean the same thing, basically. God saves. And he was called Jesus. Why? Because he was sent to save his people <clears throat> from their sins. He's sent to save us from our sins. Jesus, the Son of God, the Anointed One, he's the Christ. The Savior, the Anointed One, the one selected by God. Now, in the Old Testament, anointing was done to two kinds of people. It was done to the priest, and it was done to the king. Jesus was also a prophet, and he was a priest, and he was a king. He was anointed by God. He was appointed by God. He was set apart to restore Israel and also to bless the whole world. He was the Son of God. It might not say it in the ancient text, the most ancient text of Mark 1.1, but we've, we learn this by the time we get down to verse 11. He was the Son of God, the one co-eternal with God the Father from all of eternity, the second person of the Trinity. Amazing story. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, evidence for this divinity of Jesus is found in Matthew, as we saw last week, 
in all of the boxes that are checked, all of the prophecies that are fulfilled. In Luke, it's his historical research that backs it up that is meant to be convincing. I've got the whole story. I've checked this all out. These are not legends. This is actually what has happened. But in Mark, we have neither of those things. He just lets the events talk for themselves. He allows things to just hang there. Kind of an interesting way to approach it. There's an application from this. By the way, when we come to the end of the Gospel of Mark, there's a section at the end that does not appear in the most ancient manuscripts. So if you turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark 16. And it starts actually at verse 8. So where the story of the resurrection ends in Mark is after the women came to the tomb, uh, they're met there with, uh, with, a, with a youth dressed in white robes, undoubtedly an angel. And he says, he's not here. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Go tell his disciples, that Peter, that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. End of story. What? Now, some people think, me included, that there probably wasn't end of the Gospel of Mark, but it got broken off and lost it. So they added something later on. And nothing they added disagrees with anything else in the other Gospels. But, but, but wait a minute. What more do you need to know? The tomb is empty. He's not here. He's arisen as he told you. He's gone before you into Galilee. You'll see him there. Now go and tell everybody. And they did what most people do when they're told to do something. They didn't do it. It's the end of the story. And Mark just leaves us hanging. Maybe much like he left us hanging with verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now the story begins. And so at the end, it's also not just end of story. And now the story begins. And you fill in the blank. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The the centurion at the foot of the cross, looking at everything that had happened and how he died, and he had seen a lot of people die, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. You look at what's happened, and you come to your own conclusions, and you own it. You get it. And maybe if you think like a Roman, that's all you need. You don't need a theological argument. You don't need historical research. You need what your eyes see and your ears hear, and you understand, and you get it. The Holy Spirit helps you to do that. I think the gospel of Mark is for people like that. Here's the story, the unadorned facts. Here's what happened. And by the way, this gospel is written all in the present tense. I don't think any translation has tried to do that. It's almost entirely all in the present tense. So it's like, uh, then John appears baptizing in the wilderness 
and so on. And, and all the country of Judea are, are coming out to him, confessing their sins. And in those days, Jesus comes from Nazareth of Galilee and is baptized by John. And he comes up out of the water, and he saw the heavens open. And a voice comes from heaven, you are my beloved son. And the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness. It's all present tense. It's just one thing after another. Now, pay attention. Mark is saying, boom, here's another thing, here's another thing, here's another thing, here's another thing now. Now, what are you seeing here? The good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's a methodology here that's interesting to me. I need to hear it as a preacher because I think I have to explain everything to you because you're not very bright. You know, I'm, I, don't, I don't really mean that, but that's what it says sometimes, right? If I, if I have to, I, I used to read um, a Christian magazine on leadership, and it used to drive me nuts because not only did they have articles, they have a sidebar for every article explaining what the article meant. I'm thinking if I'm that stupid, I'm not, I'm not even going to read your stuff because I, you know, I can't, it was insulting, I thought. But sometimes that's what sermons are. They're a sidebar to the scriptures. I hope that's not the way it comes across. But I, I kind of think, well, maybe I need to open this up a little bit more. Do I really? Maybe it's enough just to tell you the story. And you get it. If you see what's going on. And Mark seems to think that way. And, I, and here's more of the story. And here's another part. Then he does this, and then he does that. And, and we get to the end, and he just leaves us with the women not saying anything because they're too afraid to say anything. And so we come to that and we go, wow, I guess he didn't rise from the dead. No, that's not what we do. We realize something has happened here. We realize that this truly is the Son of God, that everything that God promised has now been fulfilled. It's happened. This is God's eternal plan then unfolded for us, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's an eternal plan that is based on necessity. We need it because we need a Savior. Just a couple of years ago, I was in La Crosse, Wisconsin, at, at essentially a black church, and we we're looking for an African-American pastor to pastor the congregation. And by God's grace and a miracle, uh, we found one. <clears throat> as far as I know, he's still working there. But we we're talking about our mission and a vision for the church there. And a black gentleman who was an elder said, Pastor, we need to tell people that we have a Savior because this community needs a Savior. This community's got problems with people in trouble with the law, people addicted to meth and to cocaine, and they know they're lost, Pastor. And we need to put that in our vision statement that, that we have a Savior. I thought that was powerful. And it's so easy to forget that we need a Savior. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. Left to myself, I'm stuck with my sin. I have no way to atone for it. I have no way to change my heart. I need a Savior. I need somebody who take that penalty in my place, who take my life and change it 
forgive me, make me into a new person. Do you need a Savior? Do you need a Savior? Amen? The good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. This is good news. This is God's plan worked out and revealed now in Jesus. That's the beginning of the story. And the rest of the story is you. God is writing its finish on the tablet of your heart. And so I beg of you this morning, if you've never done it before, repent of going your own way. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe the gospel. If you're not doing it faithfully, share this message with other people. Look, you don't have to explain every theological detail to do that. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Tell them that he's the Son of God and their Savior. You know what? Deep down, most people know they need a Savior. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for fulfilling your promise to us in giving to us your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for me, for taking on yourself the wrath of your Father against my sin. Lord, I recognize you did that for me. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who's never made that commitment to you before that right now they'll be saying, Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Lord and as my Savior. I'm asking you right now to come into my life, forgive my sin, take control of my life, begin to make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. I thank you that you've done that for each one of us, Lord. I pray for a new beginning for somebody in this place today. And Lord, for all of us who've made that new beginning, I pray for a greater boldness in sharing what you have done for us, that with the classic simplicity of Mark's gospel, we would pro proclaim the good news, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In his name we pray, amen. Now may God himself, the God of peace, make you holy in every part and keep you sound in spirit, mind, and body without fault when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. He who calls you is to be trusted. He will do it. Amen.